0: There's a painting, quite famous, that currently hangs in the Louvre in Paris. Uh, It'll come up on the screen. It's pretty small. Uh, uh, Not in real life, but it is on the screen. It's by a man called Hyranius Bosch, and it is called the Ship of Fools. As you look at the details, it reveals a lot about what the painter is trying to communicate in his artwork. There are ten people uh, on the boat. There are two people overboard. All of them on the boat are kind of enjoying the sensual pleasures of this life. They're eating, they're feasting, they're singing, they're flirting. Uh, But there is no captain. There's no pilot steering this ship. And as they're enjoying these sensual pleasures, little do they know where their final destination is. They're just carried along by the wind and the waves. You can see that there's... One man trying to climb the mast. Atop the mast, there is a dangling carrot. But above the carrots, in the kind of tree above, you'll notice that there is a 13th figure in the painting. Uh, the man climbing the mast either doesn't see it or chooses not to, because it is a skull. The truth is that although they know not their final destination, there is a captain that is driving them somewhere. And that somewhere is death. The ship of fools is only heading to one place. Now that is very Proverbs. Folly is the blindness, is the rebellion... That leads to death. And yet the voice of the father comes constantly to his son saying, listen my son, wisdom saves. The reality is in life, we are often just blown along by the wind of folly. It is very natural, very easy, very normal for us to be blown towards that unwanted destination by this wind of foolishness. Yet the father in the book of Proverbs wants to come and say to his son, son, set your sails. If the wind is blowing you very easily, naturally towards foolishness, set your sails. Choose wisdom that will take you to life. But it is always a choice in Proverbs. It is always the knowledge of foolishness and the choice of wisdom. It's not about intellect. It's not necessarily how educated you are. It is the choice to say, although this wind will carry me here, I'm going to set my sail. And I'm going to divert myself off the ship of fools and to listen to this voice of wisdom. Now, the reality in Proverbs is that What takes us towards folly is very normal, very mundane, very average, very everyday. The things that get you onto the ship of fools can be the lies of your tongue, or the looks of your eyes, or the pride of your heart. It's very easy to drift towards foolishness. And it is in the arena of everyday. So whether you're young or old, whether you're married or single whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a businessman or unemployed, there is always the decision or not to set yourselves and move towards wisdom. Last week we saw it in regards to adultery and sexual purity. There was a real danger for the son that he was just going to drift along into the impurity of sexual immorality, of adultery. And yet the father's voice came loud and clear saying, "'My son!' don't choose to rejoice in your wife rather than indulge in this bitter sweet honey this week the father wants to communicate three more areas uh, of the son where he must set his sails um, some of you will have seen at uh, the movie or read the book um, a christmas carol with scrooge you've seen that read it But how how is Scrooge told or educated to change his behavior? He comes and he is taken to Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. And in seeing these visions, the hope is that he will amend his heart and his behavior. Well, the father takes a really similar approach in Proverbs 3. He takes him to three places, maybe to meet three people. Uh, You can see them if you look in verse 5. Uh, He takes him to see a hunter. In verse 11, there is a bandit. In verse 12, there is a villain. If you like video games, whether new or old, you know PS3 or Game Boy, often if you're playing a level game, at the end of the level there is a boss that you've got to defeat, you've got to get past. And Proverbs 6 is a little bit like that. There is a hero, uh, there is a hunter, there is a bandit, and there is a villain that you need to negotiate. But the father is going to take him to someone trapped by the hunter, someone assaulted by a bandit, and someone influenced by the villain, and say, listen, my son, the winds of folly will really easily push you towards the destination of death. You need to set your sails. Set your sails away from the hunter, away from the bandit, bandit, away from the villain. So tonight we're going to work our way through these three bosses, these three kind of teleport experiences. You with me? Great, let's look at number one. Number one, verses one to six, the hunter, a son who is ensnared. Now what is the situation? Well verse five you can see he's the son is pictured as a gazelle who's in the hand of a hunter, a bird who's in a snare of the fowler. Now how has he become ensnared? Well he's got a neighbor and his neighbor is a little bit strapped for cash and so he does something quite legitimate he goes and he looks for a loan but the man who he is asked of a loan sensibly wants some kind of security some kind of guarantee so that if the debtor becomes insolvent he will have insurance against the debt now where does his son come in he is a third party the lender asks for a guarantor so the neighbor comes to the son he says will you be the guarantor on my loan the son either out of pity or out of greed maybe to earn a little bit of cash shakes hands in the agreement but the father penetrates through this the shaking of hands to the outcome verse 2 you've been trapped you've been ensnared by the words of your mouth Uh, when the debtor uh, the man who is uh, taken out the loan can't repay it is the son who will be taken to the cleaners he is the one who has to be seized when the debtor defaults and so the father says fine you were generous but actually you were a generous fool proverbs is very clear about this if you flick over to chapter 17 verse 18 putting up guarantee or security or surety for a neighbor is never a good thing in proverbs Verse 17 verse 18 notice the language a man lacking in judgment strike hands in a pledge and puts up security for his neighbor What is the issue here? What has this son done wrong in this first experience? Well, he's been a generous fool. He's not been discriminating, but he's been impulsive. He's maybe driven by a pity, but it's a rash pity that's found himself entrapped. Uh, He's not given, in a way, that is going to even help the person in need of money, but he's given in a way that will compound their slavery to debt. And more importantly, from the father's point of view, he is given in a way that has enslaved him, that's taken away his ability to be generous. The one who has been lended the money is enslaved. The one who has guaranteed the loan is enslaved. The lesson, be wise. When it comes to your finances, be wise. It's interesting, the Father's commands in verse uh, 3, 4, and 5, the seven things He says. You know, Go, humble yourself, press your plea, allow no sleep, no slumber, free yourself. There's an urgency. Do whatever you can. Badger these people to get yourself out. Be wise in your finances now how does this apply to you um, maybe you've never been asked to be a guarantor for a loan although it's interesting there was an advert I saw in the telly this week for Amiga loans something like that if you've got a horrible credit kind of rating and you can't get a credit card or anyone to lend you money then they say we'll take you back to the old fashioned way of there being a guarantor for your loan it's interesting uh, these people will exploit anyone by any means uh, but how does this apply to those of us who are sons and daughters of a Heavenly Father, who are Christians dis- uh, discipled by the Lord Jesus Christ? What does financial wisdom look like? Well, there is the case that the way you spent your money when you were not a Christian ought to be different from the way you handle your money now that you are a Christian. Remember the words of... Uh, the New Testament. No one can serve both God and money. Often our pre-Christian lives are dominated by master money. That's changed. Money is no longer our master, but it is a thing we use to serve our heavenly master. And because he is now our master, we spend our money in a way that reflects him. We've got a generosity because of his generous grace. We've got a self-givingness in our finances because of The self giving nature of the gospel of Jesus. Let me ask you the questions. When it comes to your finances, are you being wise or are you being foolish? Are you being generous or are you being selfish? Are you being prudent or are you being impulsive? Are you being your own self regulator? Are you budgeting? These are all thoroughly wise things. Uh, The winds of foolishness will make us frivolous, impulsive, thoughtless in the way we use our money. Biblical wisdom, gospel wisdom is very different. Uh, What about lending money? The Old Testament for God's people said lending money was not wrong. It was wrong to charge interest on a loan to a fellow Israelite, although interest could be charged for a foreigner. But what about the way we lend our money? Uh, Some wisdom from Proverbs. Lend in a way that is not going to take away either your ability or your willingness to be generous. Uh, If we give just frivolously without engaging a thoughtful process, and then that person... I uh, wastes that money. What is that going to do to your generosity? Well, the next time someone presents a need, you're going to be less generous than the first time. Why? All because of a, a thoughtlessness in you in the first place. Uh, but also you've got to give in a way that doesn't compound their slavery. Well, how is my giving going to help them become independent and generous themselves rather than dependent on me in the future? Are you given a thoughtfulness to your generosity? Um, it's interesting when it comes to the New Testament, uh, the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul addresses Timothy in a matter of giving money to widows. A need is presented in the church. There are widows who are impoverished. What does Paul say? Give money to Everyone know. He says, listen, be wise in the way you give to widows and need. Don't give to those who are busybodies or gossips or who are not going to adorn the gospel, but give your money to those who are uh, going to make the gospel look beautiful to an onlooking world. Give to those who are going to be wise with the money you give them. What is Proverbs trying to instill in us? It is this generous wisdom that gives in a way that will truly help those who are in need, but also in a way that doesn't enslave us and prohibit us from being generous in the future how are you getting on in terms of your generosity in the christian life sometimes it is wiser just to give when you see a need than to lend when you see a need it's probably worth at this point saying something about borrowing as well in the Wonga culture. What does the Bible say for Christians about borrowing? Well, again, it's not wrong in and of itself, but we do need to be wise. Borrowing is not for the sake of that which we definitely cannot afford or what we don't need or that reflects a poor stewardship or a wastefulness in our money. Uh, These things will only entrap and ensnare Remember that when you borrow, you cannot serve both God and money. Those two things are mutually exclusive. Uh, Maybe is the outflow, the meditation of tonight, it is to go back and review your budget, your giving, and saying, am I being wise, and am I being generous? Now, second one. Not only the hunter with a son who's ensnared, but the bandit the sluggard who sleeps, verses 7 to 11. Uh, In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, man is created as the climax of the created order. He is to govern, uh, to rule over the rest of creation. When Proverbs 6 says, Go to the ant to learn a lesson, it is a reminder of how far humanity has fallen. When a man has to look up to an ant, something has gone seriously wrong. He says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Uh, There was lots of press about us Scots this week, about our obesity, about our young people and their obesity. Apparently, almost on average, young people spend two hours uh, in front of the television and a further two hours in front of computer games and there's been all this political debate and debate about education and how we get rid of obesity in Scotland and laziness in Scotland well here's what the Bible says go to the ant you sluggard why? well the verses tell us the ant has no commander and yet it works it has no overseer and yet it works it has no ruler and yet it works and here he compares it to the sluggards how long will you lie there, you sluggard? How long will you sleep, you sluggard? Truth is, the ant has no overseer. And yet, every man and woman is in full view of God. And the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over evil and good. The ant has no overseer, no commander, and yet you have the voice of wisdom. The ant has no ruler, and yet you have a king to whom you will give an account. Why then do you sleep, you sluggard? Why then do you sleep? Uh, Today, the sluggard is almost a hero, a role model for many in our culture of how to get through life by doing as little as possible. We find him humorous in Proverbs. He is meant to be this kind of uh, satirical, humorous character. You know the Proverbs. Uh, He buries his hand in the dish, and yet he's not got the energy to get it to his mouth. Uh, The excuses he makes. There is a lion in the streets. I can't go to work. He's heralded today as a role model. And yet he is here as a sober warning. Why do you sleep? How long will you lie there, you sluggard? It is a battle for many of us. Uh, we need to hear tonight that laziness is laziness can never be put side by side with faithfulness to Jesus. No one has ever been faithful to Jesus and lazy. They are mutually exclusive you can get into the new testament uh, you can see that laziness denies the gospel ephesians 2 says that there are works prepared in advance for us to do not only that but laziness puts off outsiders 1 thessalonians 4 we are meant to by the eager work of our hands gain respect of outsiders but laziness also burdens the church 1 timothy 5 2 thessalonians 3 ephesians 4 Laziness is a serious sin when it comes to the Christian life. It's very easy to be blown with the winds of foolishness towards that destination of death. It's very commonplace in our society. Not so the Christian. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? Let me ask you some questions about... Your work ethic, are you more comparable to the ant or to the sluggard? Do you do your work wholeheartedly? Do you do your work to the glory of God? Do you do your work as to the Lord? Do you work only when your boss is watching? Or do you do your work knowing that the Lord is always watching? So hard questions. I find it hard. I've got an office that I can shut a door. I would work far harder in an open plan office. And yet I need to remember that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. This sluggardliness is so out of place with faithfulness to Jesus. How are we doing on this? Uh, young guys, it's a besetting sin for us, isn't it? Uh, many of us, are lazy in every single part of our body apart from our thumbs, which are profoundly active. Uh, This is a rebuke to us. We live in this kind of avatar fantasy world of gaming where our characters labor, where we win battles and conquer enemies and win tournaments. And yet the reality in our Proper, our real lives is pitiful because we're sluggardry. I hear this warning. Go to the ant, you sluggards. Uh, what about those of us, uh, how do we engage properly with rest? Uh, we do need rest. That is a biblical idea. But we need to guard against Rest becoming an excuse to indulge our laziness. What is the point of rest in the Christian life? It is not the indulgence of self, but it is to refresh self for further service. How are you doing in terms of resting? What about those of us who are retired? It is amazing in Short Chapel to see so many people using their retirement to the glory of God Word Alive was testimony to that uh, many of you can say that, you know the worst thing about retirement is that you never get a day off um, but some of us retirement can be an opportunity to indulge the inward sluggard and we need to redeem the time for the one who will take an account for it uh, there can be great usefulness in retirement how are you using it Maybe for all of us. Some of us may be uh, workaholics when it comes to our nine-to-five jobs. Workaholics when it comes to uh, how we present ourselves physically. Workaholics when it comes to uh, gaining massive biceps. Workaholics when it comes to everything else. But when it comes to spiritual things, we're sluggardry. The effort goes in everywhere apart from our godliness and our wisdom again Proverbs we have something to say go to the ants don't be blown along by this wind of foolishness that guides the ship of fools towards death set yourselves be wise and we need to feel the punch of that um, the story Jesus tells about the faithful and the wicked servants He says, well done, good and faithful servant, to two. But to one, he says, depart from me, you wicked, lazy servant. Go to the ant. Set yourselves. Be wise. The third place the father uh, teleports the son, the third boss, is the villain, the scoundrel, who stirs. Uh, we go from someone who has been sinful in their idleness to someone who is sinful in their busyness. Uh, we have in these verses a uh, anatomy of evil. Let's scan them. A scoundrel and a villain, verse 12. He's got a corrupt mouth. He winks with his eyes. He signals with his feet. He motions with his fingers. This idea of doing deceitful things behind people's back. He plots evil with deceit in his heart. He stirs up dissension every part of this person is evil from his top to his bottom from his extremities to his internals from his relation to God from his uh, impact upon society it is wicked and it is evil I think the penetrating the frightening thing of these verses is how mundane they are how normal they are how me they are look down verse 16 17 you know haughty eyes proud eyes how often do i look down on others lying tongues how often do i twist the truth or exaggerate hands that shed innocent blood how often do my words or my actions harm others a heart that devises wicked schemes how often can we be stunned maybe shocked at the thoughts that can come into our minds, at feet that are quick to run into sin, the false witness who tells more lies, the person who stirs up quarrels, who loves to pit people against each other. It's very us, isn't it? What is God's reaction to this man? Verse 16. These are things that he... Hates. These are things that are detestable. His emotions are engaged. He is not passive. He is not indifferent. He is enraged. He hates this person. He hates these things. We often hear the phrase, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Now, there is some truth in that, but we need to be careful. Uh, In the Bible, there is not a dichotomy. There is not a separation between what someone does and who they are. Those two things flow out of each other. We sin because we are sinners. How does God react to those who are sinful? He hates it. It is completely incompatible with His goodness and His holiness. Maybe you're not a Christian. Uh, One of your objections, one of the stumbling blocks for you for Christianity is, you know, if this God is good, how can there be all this evil in the world? Why does he not just put an end to it all? One response is to ask, well, what is evil? Uh, And when you ask that and you answer that, to be consistent. You know, we want evil to be defined and we want it to be punished. But what is evil? Who is evil? Where is evil? And it is not just the war and it's not just the rape and it is not just the adultery and it's not just the perversity or the pedophile or the terrorist It's the proud eyes. It's a lying tongue. It's the divisive speech. It's a deceitful heart. It's not just out there, it is in here. And if we want God to take it away, if we want God to destroy it, then you've got to be consistent. And that would mean that I would be destroyed. Just see that in verse 15. What he detests will be destroyed. That is what I deserve, that is what we all deserve what is the amazing good news of the bible that even though we are objects of god's wrath his hatred he would make us objects of his mercy he'd send his son jesus and he'd come and he'd live the perfectly wise life the sinless life and yet he'd be hated for it nailed to a tree But as he dies on that cross, what is happening? It is not just a hate crime of humanity. It is an act of mercy of God the Father. Jesus is destroyed. As on the cross, he takes on himself my sin. So that in that moment, God detests his son. Because he is stained by the sinfulness of those he dies for. Yet three days later, he rises to show that he has once for all destroyed the strongholds of evil and will remove it finally on the day he returns. So that I might no longer be an object of his hatred, but a recipient of his undeserved mercy. Maybe tonight you are sailing on the ship of fools. You know, you read these things and you say, Well, you know, they're in me. And you know the shame and the enslavery and maybe the guilty conscience that these things bring. The great news is there's not just one ship, but there is alongside the ship of fools is a lifeboat. And you know, there's the cross of Christ who comes as the rescue that you need that turns shame to peace and enslavery to freedom and destruction to preservation and death to life. He longs it tonight you would jump off the ship of fools onto the lifeboat by putting your faith, your trust, your dependence your everything in Christ. You could do that tonight. For those of us who are Christians uh, those who are on the ship of fools And those who are on the lifeboat act very differently. They spend their money differently. They spend their time differently. They're wise. So the Father would come to you tonight and say, Listen, son, daughter, set your sail. This week, don't just be pulled by the winds, it's going only one direction. But set your sail. Choose. Wisdom. Choose life. And we long to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Why don't you take a couple of minutes now to...